Here this morning we're looking at Acts chapter 15. We're going to be following how God sovereignly guides and how God sovereignly directs our lives and what we're to be doing in the midst of all the ways that the Lord moves and directs. Over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at the call that God gives us to envision this calling to make disciple makers, to invest in our own future and to invest in God's eternal kingdom. And here today, we're looking at what it means to engage in the ordinary details of life. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, pray that you would help us to understand the way that you work in the little things, the way that you work in the ordinary and the mundane, the way you work in seemingly insignificant ways to bring about the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, guide us in this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Gaius Plinius Lucci arrived in the city of Bithynia just in time to celebrate the Roman emperor's birthday on September 18th in the year 111 AD. And Pliny, as he is more commonly known, was sent um, as a special commissioner to sort out all of the problems in this area bordering the Black Sea in the Roman Empire. The problems were political, the problems were economic, they were administrative, and one of the main problems that he had was what to do with all of these Christians who were there. Pliny didn't know a whole lot about Christians, except that Christians were very stubborn about clinging to their beliefs. They would not pray to the gods. They would not burn incense to the emperor's statue. And that they met regularly to sing and pray to Christ. And they promised to abstain from theft, robbery, and adultery. And their stubbornness alone was reason enough to merit their punishment. But the thing that really bothered Pliny was the way that Christians spread their beliefs. So he wrote to Emperor Trajan, asking for guidance on what to do with all these Christians. And he wrote saying this, A great many individuals of every age and class, both men and women, are being brought to trial. And this is likely to continue. It is not only the towns, but villages and rural districts too, which are infected (laughs) through contact with this wretched cult. What was happening? Christians were infecting the region. And as people came in contact with this wretched cult, they became believers. Well, how did Christianity get to this place? How did Christianity get there and these spread so virulently? What we're going to examine this morning is how God sovereignly guides and how God sovereignly shapes our lives to accomplish His purposes and accomplish His mission. We're going to examine the story in particular in Scripture of someone who didn't stay in one place for very long. His job kept moving him around. He didn't stay long enough to develop long-term relationships and have a long-term impact, we might say. He was someone who often really wanted to be somewhere other than he was. He wanted to be somewhere else. And he was regularly convinced that God also wanted him to be somewhere else. As he set forth on his career, his career got massively derailed. And then in addition to that, he was afflicted with a life-altering ailment that forced him to give up his career plans and to be somewhere that he hadn't planned on being and indeed somewhere that he didn't even want to be. Does any of that sound like your life? Or at least parts of it? 
But it was the same someone who God used to advance the gospel across racial and cultural and political barriers. This same someone who God used to plant dozens of churches and to write 13 books of the Bible. This was the Apostle Paul. And what we're going to examine is how we must respond to the way that the Lord works in guiding, directing, and accomplishing His plan. First thing that we see here in this passage, and just to let you know, we're going to be going through Paul's missionary journeys here, um, and there's some remarkable things that are revealed when we study his missionary journeys, but I just want to give you a heads up that for some of you, you're going to love this because there's maps and details, and some of you are going to think this is the most tedious thing ever because there are maps and details. But the point is, what do we learn through this? And brace yourself for what's about to come. All right. This is what the Apostle Paul first calls us to as we enter into this and looking at Paul's journey, is that we need to embrace God's purpose and his purpose in this world. So it's what we've been examining over the last couple of weeks, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in that we saw how God, in this supernatural way, takes very ordinary people who he makes to be his witnesses. He sends them out through the migrations of people and through putting people on specific mission efforts. And how God takes very ordinary people and he attends his Holy Spirit with them so that through the words of ordinary people and the actions of ordinary people, others encounter God and come to know him. And then we looked at Matthew 28, 19 through 20 with the call to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We saw that it is what Jesus did in his own life. It's what Jesus' plan was to reach the world, and it is simply what Jesus commands us to do, to make disciples who make disciples. That is our purpose. And then last week we saw how we're called to invest our time, talent, and treasure to make eternal friends. We considered how much of your life is God's. How much of your life is to be lived for God? And the answer is, not one small part of it, but the whole thing. All that you are, all that you have, all that you can do is God's, for God's, and to be lived for God. So embrace His purpose to make disciples and to be His witnesses. So, we see this exact pattern in the life of Paul. Paul is converted becomes a follower of Christ after persecuting the church. He is called specifically to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and in places that the gospel has never gone before. So here is how Paul's journeys begin. The church is gathered together, Acts 13, verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now pay attention to what happens in the journeys as they go. They get sent off from the church in Antioch. Antioch is the prototypical ideal church in the New Testament, and they are the mission-sending church for the Apostle Paul. And so they send Paul and Barnabas, and they go down to Salamis, which is where Barnabas was from, across Cyprus, move up to Perga, and all of a sudden when they get to Perga, their companion, John Mark, who had attended them, abdicates. He goes AWOL. He leaves, abandons the mission, and runs home. They're one of their team members has jumped ship. They then continue through, 
and they move up to Antioch. This is called Pisidian Antioch, not to be confused with the Antioch over here. They move up to Antioch, and when they get up to Antioch, um, Paul is thrown out after preaching the gospel. He gets thrown out of the city, and then he comes over to Iconium. And there, there are threats against his life, his life and the lives of his companions. So he moves from Iconium, or up the side, moves from Iconium over to Lystra. And when he gets in Lystra, there Paul is stoned to death. Why do I say stoned to death? Because they thought he had died, and they grabbed him and they dragged him out of the town and put him on the pile where dead people go. They thought he had stoned him to death, but he actually wasn't dead. So Paul gets up. Um, continues to preach the gospel, and then after some time retraces his steps and comes back to Antioch after three years. And he stays there for several years. At every step of the way, God has called him he is to, to be his witness. Paul has embraced God's purpose for his life. He is following this, and at every step of the way, he is persecuted, there is opposition, he gets stoned, he gets beaten. I don't know, at least for me, I'd say, I, this wasn't how I saw this playing out. I didn't expect there to be such opposition. But what Paul had done is that he had embraced God's purpose to make disciples wherever it was that God had put him. You know, sometimes I think we pray when we're trying to discern what the Lord has for us. A prayer that I, a prayer that I hear people pray quite often is, is Lord, would you guide me? I, I just want to be, I just want to be where God wants me to be. Good news, God has answered that prayer. He has you where he wants you. He has placed you where he wants you to be. Now, the question is not so much, are you where God would have you? But where God has you, have you embraced what God would do for you, through you? Are you doing what God would have you do? Have you embraced God's purpose? Dick Halverson was the pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda for a long time, and then he was the chaplain to the U.S. Senate for many years. And Halverson ended his worship services at his church and also in the, US Senate, in the U.S. Senate, and he would give this benediction every time that he would end one of his services. He would say this, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ who indwells you by the power of the Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, in His love, and in His power, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you see what the benediction is? He's saying, embrace God's purpose. Wherever you go is where God has sent you, and wherever you are is the place that God wants you to be, and He has you in that place for a specific purpose. It's indeed what we see in the life of Paul and the calling for us to embrace in our own lives wherever God has us, to embrace his purpose for us. But the second thing is that as you embrace his purpose, is to rest in God's sovereignty. Because as we embrace God's purpose, and we see what, we get this vision of what the Lord wants to do, it never goes the way that we anticipate it going. And this is indeed what happens in the life of the Apostle Paul. It says... After some days, this would be after a couple years, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
Now, we're going to come back to this, but notice what's happened. The first time Paul and Barnabas were sent out, God spoke to the church and said to the church, send Paul and Barnabas. This time, Paul and Barnabas are hanging around, and Paul's got this internal conviction, hey, Barnabas, we should go revisit the churches. And so, they talk to the other people about it, and they, get, get, they start to send them out. But as they're talking about this, something happens. Paul and Barnabas get into an argument, and it states this. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Who is this John Mark? The same one that abdicated on their first trip. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What does this look like? It looks like this. They're here in Antioch. Remember, the first trip went counterclockwise. They say, they get this conviction, we're going to go visit these churches again. However, the two of them have a conflict and can't agree, and so they split up the team. Barnabas and John Mark follow the path that they went before, counterclockwise. They go to Salamis on the, on the Cyprus. Paul, now with Silas, says, you know what? We're going to go the opposite direction. You take John Mark, go counterclockwise. We're going to go the other way. We're going to go, um, you go clockwise. We're going to go counterclockwise. So Barnabas and John Mark go this way, and Paul and Silas head off this direction. Now, what happens after this is that Paul, and this is where we're going to get into some of the details, but pay attention to these details. Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. Where is that? Right here. Paul comes to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So what's happened at this point? Paul now picks up Timothy. Hopefully that name's familiar to you. There's two books of the Bible written, written to him. And Paul picks up Timothy. Well, how does that happen? It doesn't, partly because there was a conflict between Barnabas and Paul here, and instead of going this direction, Barnabas goes this way and Paul goes that way, and there he meets up with Timothy and picks up Timothy. As they pick up Timothy, Paul continues his strategy. And Paul's strategy for advancing the gospel and for planting churches was to target the major metropolitan centers and to strategically target the cities, which is what he did. So after coming here, he grabs Timothy, and he decides, let's go to the biggest center of Gentiles, the place of the biggest cultural influence, which is Ephesus. So they start to head down the road to Colossae, and then over to Ephesus, so that the gospel could be proclaimed in this major center, this major city, and this major cultural center. But here's what happens, and this is where it starts to get interesting. As they went their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance from the decisions, decisions that had been t taught by the apostles and who were at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Here's what happens. They're here in Lystra, 
and they decide they want to go to the cultural center, the most influential city in, ancient, in Asia Minor. They're going to come over here to Ephesus. And they don't. Why? Because the text tells us they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in that place. Go figure. God appointed him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, they are headed to the most culturally influential place, and God forbids them from going there. So what do they do? Well, they hang out. They hang out for a while. They visit the churches in Phrygia and, and Antioch and Galatia in this region over here. And then they say, wait a second, so where should we go? Well, we're not going to go east because that's where we came from. We can't go south. I know. We can't go south to Ephesus, this major cultural center. Let's go north. So they head north to go to Bithynia. Why would they want to head here is because this was the major cultural center, and running along right here was the major highway that connected Europe ultimately to India. And so it made sense. Go to this place where they could proclaim the gospel, and the gospel would be dispersed from Europe all the way over to India. So they head in that direction, but here's what happens. But when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Say what? Can't go here to the major center. They go up here. They get blocked from going to the major, the major highway, so they can't go east, can't go south, can't go north. Where do they go? Well, the only option left is to go west, and they head over to Troas. And the text says this. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. You look at this and say, what's going on? By the time they land in Troas, they have now traveled 400 miles on foot. 400 miles on foot, no report of converts, no report of new churches. I mean, they, this must have been strange, right? I mean, this must have been considered to be strange to be called to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, and then you get stopped by God from bringing the gospel to the most influential city, and then you get stopped by God to bringing the gospel to the most influential transportation system in the ancient world. I mean, I don't know, at least for me, can you imagine the frustration at that point in time? Ever you're trying to follow the Lord, but your way keeps getting blocked by God, and God is blocking you from doing the thing that you believe that God has called you to do? Well, what do we make of that? I think that the one thing that we draw from this is, is this calling for us to rest in God's sovereignty. Because God guides our frustrations. He guides, guides our dead ends, and oftentimes the frustrations that we experience in our plans are actually God's direction. And so God's guidance comes to us at times by him saying yes, but many times by him, by th it comes through God giving us no's. And it may be that you get many, 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 many more no's before you ever get a yes. And if you're in that situation, it would be wrong to think that the no means that God hasn't guided you. In fact, just the opposite should be the conclusion, is that you have a Heavenly Father who is for you and who is guiding you by saying no. He guides us in our frustrations. But maybe for the Apostle Paul, maybe he actually wasn't frustrated. It doesn't actually tell us how he was feeling. That's me projecting in, I would be frustrated. But maybe he wasn't frustrated. 
And maybe he wasn't frustrated because he was actively resting in God's sovereignty. That he was actively wrestling, resting in the truth, in the freedom that, Lord, you will direct my steps. Maybe he was living in the peace that comes from knowing that he has a loving Heavenly Father who is working all things for our good and for his glory. And maybe he wasn't frustrated because in the midst of all the different things happening and all the different places going, he was resting in the sovereignty of God, knowing that God would fulfill his purpose that he had embraced. So first thing for us, embrace God's sovereignty, embrace God's purpose. Secondly, rest in God's sovereignty. Thirdly, is to seek the Lord's guidance. Now, how did God guide Paul and his companions? When you look at Paul's ministry, there's lots of different ways that he guided them. I'm going to highlight, briefly highlight six of them. When they started off on their missionary journey, how did God guide them? God spoke to the church and said to the church, set these apart to go on the trip. It was through prayer. It was through collective prayer that God guided them to send them out. It's a process akin to what we are involved in as a church with Act 1-8. Paul Reynolds just recently shared with us a few moments ago his, his process of discerning the Lord's leading for the commitment to Act 1-8. What is God calling us to do to make disciple makers? Where are we right now? How is he calling us to invest in listening to that? So one way the Lord guides us is through prayer. Another way that he guides us, which you see at the beginning of Paul's second journey, is through an internal conviction. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go visit the churches. Let's go visit the churches that we started before. And so they made a plan. Paul regularly talked about his plans, but plans need to be held with a very open hand. But it stemmed from an internal conviction of what he himself wanted to do. That's the second way he guided them. The third way he guided Paul that we've seen so far was through conflict. They had companions. They had a conflict that they couldn't settle, and they agreed to separate ways. Paul went counterclockwise. Barnabas went clockwise. And it was through that conflict that all of a sudden Timothy has joined their band and joined their journey. Fourth way that God guides, say, is through internal compulsion. See this begin to play out here in Acts chapter 16, verses 9. After they, had, after they were boxed in, couldn't go this direction, couldn't go south, couldn't go east, couldn't go north, they decided to go west to Troas. While they're in Troas waiting there, it says this, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia, over here, into Europe. They're here, come on over here, he says. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. How does God guide them? Well, he gives this vision to Paul, but I want to note something about this vision. This vision did not redirect their path. It did not redirect them. It simply confirmed where they were already going. They were already moving in that direction. And God confirms it with this vision. The result, the gospel goes to Europe and on to Rome. Fifth way, and I say, you know, the internal compulsion. 
I don't know, there's just sometimes I think if you're seeking the Lord and listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, guide me, what would you have us do? The Lord just brings impressions on your heart. There's just ways that you, the Lord just weighs on you certain people or certain things that the Lord is moving you to do, an internal compulsion. Way number five, and stay with me as we're going through these details, stay number, way number five is the Lord guides through conversation. After this, they said, Paul gets a vision, and then it says, we sought to go, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul says, I have a vision, and they say, well, let's think about it. Is that they are discussing together that the guidance that God is giving to them is rational as well as circumstantial. Following God's guidance is not just a matter of reading the signs or whatever that means, but of making a wise decision with the information that you have. And note that when this, in this conversation of the Lord guiding, what you see in the life of Paul is that all of his major situations, all of his major actions, guidance was always given collectively and not individually. It was given it to a group of believers, not to one individual. It said the Spirit would not let them go into Bithynia. The vision came to Paul, and it says, and we concluded that God was calling us to preach. Guidance comes through God's people, and it comes collectively, it comes through thinking, it comes through rational, wise decisions, as well as through our circumstances. And indeed, God guides, finally sixth, through our circumstances. The Lord blocked their path probably through really ordinary ways. When something extraordinary happens, Luke recorded, recorded it. But if the, he blocked their path in really ordinary ways. One example of this comes in the book of Galatians, where Paul says, he writes a letter to the church in Galatia, and he says to them, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I first preached the gospel to you. You hear what Paul's saying to them? He said, I didn't want to come to Galatia. I didn't plan to preach the gospel to you. I didn't intend to be there, but I had a detour from my route. My plan got altered. I wasn't planning on bringing the gospel there, and the only reason why I came there was because I was sick. But yet God thwarted Paul's well-laid plans to bring about enormous good through suffering. All of these different ways that God guides and shapes and shapes our lives. So seek the Lord's guidance. And this gets to the next point. You embrace God's mission, you rest in His sovereignty, you seek God's guidance in the midst of it, but what's important in the moment is to open yourself to God's work. Open yourself up to what the Lord is doing. And we have a great example of this in Luke himself, the writer of the book of Luke and the writer of Acts. Because this is how Luke's story goes. Luke Acts chapter 16, verse 10, says this, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why is that significant? This is the first time in the, in the book of Acts that the word we is used. And what it indicates is that what happens here is that Luke has now joined Paul on Paul's missionary journey. He is joined in the travel. So we concluded that God was calling us to Macedonia. 
So Luke is here in Troas. Luke is open to what the Lord is doing. Paul comes by, whether Luke becomes a believer or not or already was, we don't exactly know how that worked out. But Luke is in Troas and he concludes that God is calling us to cross over and proclaim the gospel in Philippi. So Luke goes. After the, after the churches started in Philippi, what the narrative then says is that they went on to uh, Berea, Thessalonica, and on down to Corinth. What happened? Luke got dropped off in Philippi over here. He was open to what the Lord was doing. They started a church in Philippi. Apparently, that church possibly needed a pastor to someone to guide it. They leave Luke in Philippi, and Paul continues his missionary journeys. Paul, a couple years pass. Paul returns on, eventually proclaims the gospel in Ephesus, and returns back to Jerusalem and back up to Antioch. A couple years go by. Paul decides he's going to go on his third missionary journey, sent out by the church. As they're sent out, they head across, go up through this way, come on through, stop by, go down to Corinth. Five years have passed now. While they're in Corinth, there is an assassination plot that is give, assassination plot that is hatched against the Apostle Paul. Up to this point, Paul has gone through this region collecting a sizable offering, financial offering, which they are carrying on them in order to bring back to the saints in Jerusalem because they're in a famine. But there's an assassination plot against them. So they split. And Paul sends the others by boat from Corinth over to Troas. Most likely, the group of them carried with them all of the treasure and all the finances that they had. And given that the assassination plot was against Paul himself, Paul went off by foot back up this direction. Suddenly, Paul lands back in Philippi. And when he lands back in Philippi, stay with me, when he lands back in Philippi, the narrative switches and all of a sudden, we, the narrative starts to say, and we were in Philippi and we set sail to Troas. Luke has joined him again. He was open to what the Lord was doing. Luke has joined with him again. This happens and they quickly set sail to get over here back down to Jerusalem, hopefully in time for Pentecost. However, as soon as Paul gets down there, Luke is with him, and Paul gets arrested. And he gets thrown in jail, and he gets put in jail in Caesarea for two years. And Luke accompanies him and most likely provides for his physical needs while he's in jail. Why does that matter? It's because Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And Luke says in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that he carefully researched what eyewitnesses told him about what Jesus Christ had done. That Luke had attended the places that Jesus went and that he himself had talked to the eyewitnesses and he is giving a record of the eyewitness accounts. How on earth did a physician who was, pra had a phys who had a, who was a practice in Troas, who was pastoring a church in Philippi, talk to all of the eyewitnesses that subsequently became the Gospel of Luke? How did that happen? What scholars agree happened is that what he did was that Luke accompanied Paul, and while he was in two years in Caesarea in prison, Luke gallivanted around the Judean countryside, talking to Mary and interviewing Mary and interviewing Martha and interviewing Lazarus and collecting all of the things, and he's sitting there waiting for Paul to get out of prison. He's got time on his hands. He's open to what the Lord is doing, and what does he do? 
he writes the Gospel of Luke and the, Gospel of, and the book of Acts, which subsequently becomes the largest writing of the New Testament. How did that happen? How do we have the Gospel of Luke? It's in part because there is an assassination plot against Paul here. And because of that assassination plot, he happened to go up to Philippi, and there was someone named Luke who was open to the Spirit of God, who happened to attend with him to go down here, and he had two years to kill, where Jesus lived and walked, and he decided that he was going to be open to the work of the Lord and be used by God to what God was doing to advance his purposes. It's a calling for each one of us to open ourselves to the work of the Lord and to open ourselves to what God is doing. It's a little bit like you're going on a car trip with kids in the car, and they're all playing the elect- their electronic devices, and they look at, and you go to this area, and it is beautiful, and it is gorgeous, and you're like, hey, kids, look out the window, and they're like, uh, yeah, cool, can I finish playing my game now? You're like, open your eyes, like, see where you are, appreciate what is around you, and to individual Christians, I believe God is calling to us and saying, open your eyes. Get your head up out of your own little world and look what the Lord is doing. Look at how God is sovereignly working through ordinary things, through challenges, through sickness, through illnesses, through frustrations, through assassination plots, through all of these obstacles. And open your eyes to what God is doing and saying, Lord, how would you use me? Where you have sent me, where I am is where you have put me, and I am here with your spirit attending to me for a purpose in this community. Open your eyes. Let me give you two brief stories of that. One of these occurred yesterday. Yesterday, Holly and I were up at the retreat center that the ladies are going to for their women's retreat, working out final details. And it's a, there's, there were several other conferences going on there at the same time, a couple hundred people. And we walk out of the dining hall, and I bump into somebody who'd been visiting Cornerstone, but hasn't been here in a couple months. At this retreat center, that was three, three hours away from here. And I say, hey, how's it going? He's like, whoa, crazy to see you. And they say, oh, you know, I miss seeing you. It's good to see you. And he says, yeah. And then we split and we go different ways. And I'm like, daggone it, I'm a pastor. Like, I should have said, come back to church. Like, <laughs> I should have said, how have you been? Like, where have you been? I should have said something like that. And I'm like, man, what a, ah. right? So I go down. And then we're sitting there, and I, um, I sit down, and I'm working on this sermon about opening my eyes to the work of the Lord, <laughs> right? And I'm like, daggone it, I really should have said something to that guy. And so I'm sitting there, and there, the main session breaks out. And I'm literally working on this part about opening your eyes to the work of the Lord. And this guy walks up to me. He's on a retreat with a church that he was a part of some years ago. And he lives down here still, and he was on a retreat with some church from some years ago and somehow got connected with them and decided to go back, go back on the retreat. And I'm like, open your eyes to the work of the Lord. And, um, and the, the breakout comes, and the, and the dude walks up, and he's like, hey. He's like, you're in my seat. Like several hundred people, I am in his seat for his small group, literally in, literally in his seat. And I'm like, open your eyes to the work of the Lord. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, got it, Lord. And so I say, hey, you know, have, you know, where have you been going to church? Have you been going to church anywhere? He's like, no, I haven't. He said, actually, can we grab lunch? I'd love to catch up with you. I said, that'd be great. So we ended up gra- gra- grabbing lunch and had a good time connecting. He's like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, he said, yeah, I'll be, I'll be back. And I was like, golly day. I'm like, this is so difficult for me. I don't know about you. I am a pastor. 
I am writing a sermon on opening my eyes to the work of the Lord. Right? And the Lord whacks me over the head, and I'm like, oh, how about right now? Right? But God is doing things at all these different times and all of his sovereign workings and moving people around. He is at work, and he calls us not only to embrace his purpose, but to be open to what he is doing. Personally, that's my second problem, is I'm not open to it. And so I regularly pray, Lord, um, would you give me an opportunity to show someone the love of Christ? And when that opportunity comes, would you give me the courage to take it? That I would actually open my mouth and that I would engage. You know, that I would, that I would take, take a step forward. And so I pray for that regularly. And um, usually I play the, pray that when I'm going on trips. And so um, I pray that, you know, when I'm driving to the airport. And usually what happens when I get on the airplane, you know, I pray this prayer and, not, and I say, okay, Lord, would you make a way that I can show someone your love? And usually the person that I'm sitting next to has their headphones on, their hoodie pulled up, and they're reading a book, and they're like, they're like not interested, right? And I get that. I don't want to be like, hey, we're sitting next to each other for a reason, man. Like, let's talk. Like, I, I, I'm not going to be that dude. And so I just pray for it, and oftentimes nothing happens. Well, a little while ago, I had a, flight, I had a trip to Atlanta, and... Um, and I was, it was an early morning flight, it was like a 6 a.m. flight, so I had to get to the airport by, you know, 4.45 or something like that. And so I was at the airport, and it had been a really exhausting and stressful week. I was, like, emotionally done, I was exhausted, it was 4 in the morning, four, five, 5 in the morning. And so I get to my gate, and I sit down, and I pull out my journal to start writing out my prayers. And I write out my prayers because... If I don't write them out, I get distracted, and I'm like, oh, look at the bird. And so I write them out just to keep myself focused. So I'm writing out my prayers so I can pay attention to praying, and this guy sitting next to me goes, hey, is that a prayer journal? And I'm like, I do not want to talk to anyone right now. <laughs> like, I want to be completely left alone. I did not pray that prayer today that God would use me this time. Like, I just want to be left alone. And so I'm like... He's like, is that a prayer journal? And I'm like, yes, it's so I can pray by myself. (laughs) (laughs) And and so he's like, I've got one too. I'm like, I hope you use it. (laughs) This is what I'm this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking in my head. And and so he goes, he goes, well, and then he introduced himself, and I'm like, all right, fine, God, okay, right? slam my journal shut. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. What's the deal? And so he starts telling me how he recently became a Christian and how he's a traveling salesman. And, and uh, he's got the Southeast region. And as a result of that, he's away from his home a lot. And then he starts sharing with me how he's gotten, how he, the Lord, he got involved in all kinds of sexual sin and that the Lord has convicted him of this and um, that he's gotten several Bible studies that he's using. And isn't it great the way that the Lord brings people into his life like me um, when he is on trips to encourage him in his walk with the Lord. It's like, that's great. That's, that's great. So we have this nice conversation, and finally, the gate attendant says, you know, we're boarding your flight, get on the airplane. Yes. Right? And he had pre-boarding, so he was up and gone. So I'm like, okay, I just want to go to sleep. I just want to check out. Fine. So I get in line, and I stumble through, and Southwest is saying, Uh, All of the seats are full. Please take the next available seat. Please take the next available seat. I get on the plane, 
and gentlemen is there being like, Walt, Walt, I saved you a seat right here, right next to me. Like, thanks, brother, so much. And it was in the middle, it was, it was in the middle, it was the aisle, it was in the middle. So we sit down and he starts talking to me and there's this um, 20-something African-American guy who's sleeping against the window and he's got a hoodie on with his Beats headphones on and his hat and he's like curled up and checked out and I'm like, that's what I want. And um, so we're talking and this guy, and it becomes clear that this guy who's dealing with some significant struggles and significant sexual sin and seeking to honor the Lord with that, was really doing so in a really man-centered way that was setting himself up for failure. So I start to talk with him through that, and we look at a couple Bible passages, and suddenly, the guy next to me who's asleep goes, are you a man of God? I was like, (laughs) why, yes, I am. Thank you, Lord, right? And he goes, I need to talk to a man of God. I'm like, that's what I'm here for, apparently. <laughs> and so he start, overheard part of our conversation, and he starts telling me about all of his sexual sin and all of his individual struggles, and he was going on his way to some deliverance conference to be set free from whatever. And I, I knew the guy who was teaching it and not a good situation. And so I'm like, you know what? Okay. Let me give you some good biblical counsel. So I said, let's open up your Bible to do, to, let's take a look at this. And the guy on the other side of me goes, well, what passage is that? And I'm like, okay, why don't you turn to these passages, and you turn to these passages, and then you read this. And so anyhow, I end up leading this, I, I'm angrily leading this hour and a half Bible study on this flight to Atlanta, <laughs> totally mad of what the Lord is doing here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like why today? Like, this is the day that I was decided I was not interested in doing this, God. And so anyhow, we finish up, and they're both like, man, did God just brought you here today? I'm like, yeah, it happens, you know. <laughs> and I'm walking off the plate, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Like, where you go, God has sent you. And where you are is where he has put you. And he has put you there with his Holy Spirit to be his vessel. And so open yourself up to God's sovereign work. Open your eyes, get your eyes off of your own world to what, to what God is doing. Because if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, not only do you need to embrace this mission, but you need to embrace this foundational truth that you are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are not your own. And you are put, if you are a disciple of Christ, you are put to make disciples of Christ wherever it is that the Lord would put you and wherever it is that the Lord would send you. Open your eyes. Open yourself to being used by the Lord. Because God has determined that he will accomplish his purpose. He will accomplish his mission. And the ways that he does so, it doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always make sense. You know, there's, there's someone who I have been praying for would come to faith in Christ for 10 years, and sometimes it really frustrates me. Because I'm like, God, why doesn't this person become a Christian? You call us to pray for people to become believers. I'm praying that someone become a believer. I'm willing to share the gospel with this guy, and nothing. How does that work? 
And yet, what's remarkable is that through that person, God has brought 10 other people to faith in Christ, through that person who has not become a Christian yet. Three, I'm sorry, he has brought three other people through that one person who has not become a Christian yet. And I'm like, you know, and there's at this time that I think about this, and I'm like, do I care about this stuff more than God does? No way. And so you think about what the Apostle Paul had going on here, and where he was and where he was serving. What about the areas that, that were blocked? Did the gospel ever go to those places like Bithynia where he said, you're not going to go there? Well, we know that 10 years later, the Apostle Peter writes a letter, the letter of 1 Peter, and he opens up by saying this. Peter, an apostle of Christ to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That even though Paul wasn't the one who brought the gospel there, there were ordinary Christians who God used to bring the gospel to Bithynia because God is determined to bring about his mission and to accomplish his purposes. And 60 years after Paul's pathway was blocked is when, the, it is when Pliny wrote to Trajan and saying, it is not only the towns but the villages and rural districts too which are infected through contact with this wretched cult. How does that happen? Sometimes God's direction confuses us. But God has a plan he is the master planner, and he will accomplish his purposes. And how did the gospel come there? It came through ordinary Christians whose names aren't written in the Bible. Ordinary Christians who embrace God's purposes, who rested in God's sovereignty, who sought the Lord's guidance and were open to what God was doing so that God would accomplish his mission, who embraced what Dick Alverson said. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. And Christ, who indwells you by the power of his spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, and his power. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. Father, you use the ordinary and mundane things of our life. You shape us and redirect us. Lord, you guide us. Sometimes through sickness, sometimes through tragedy, sometimes through assassinations, sometimes through ordinary things such as bad weather. And you guide us that you would accomplish your purpose. Lord, would you make us open to what you are doing? And not only would we be open, but would we have the courage to follow you and to show the love of Christ to the people that you have already put into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.